Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. Welcome back, Dolphins fans, to another episode of On the Fin Side. Today we are sitting down to talk about the draft with former Finsiders host and currently on 790 The Ticket and 560 WQAM down in Miami, Greg Likens. Greg, welcome back to the show. We haven't had you on a while. How's everything been going for you? Everything's great, Paul. Yeah, good to be back on. Always good to talk to you. And I'm glad that we, we have the draft out of the way because we had all those questions and now we have answers to them. So for for only having six or seven picks, this was a really, really active draft for the Dolphins, it felt like. Did you get the same sense? And what was your favorite move out of all the different ones that we had? Oh, man. Well, I, I think everybody would be disappointed if I don't say the Josh Rosen trade, right? I mean, <laughs> True. That's, the one that, that's the one that at least has garnered the most attention. Um, but just in general, you know, if we move away from just the actual picks themselves, and look at the philosophy employed by Chris Greer. I know that this year's draft, they, they end up with the six picks and, of course, Rosen, but I like the way that they've set themselves up for the future. And I, I know that it's difficult for some Dolphins fans to realize that in some ways this year's draft, even the upcoming season, is about building towards the future. But since that is kind of the way things are, I like the idea that he set themselves up and the Dolphins up to have a lot of flexibility and maneuverability in the 2020 draft. And it, from what he described, it sounds like that's what he wants it to be like every year where he's got multiple picks. He can move around if he wants, he can make all the picks, but next year is looking like they're going to have somewhere between 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range, depending on the compensatory picks. And so bigger picture, I like the fact that they've created flexibility for themselves in the future. And that's one of the things we've talked about a lot with all of our draft coverage going on. And, and one of the things that we noticed, and I want, to, I want to hear if you get the same sense, is the Josh Rosen move almost feels like a win-win. You, you, even if you take out the trade with the Saints to make it a little more palatable and what have you, the fact that if Rosen does well, they don't need to make that move up to get a quarterback. But if Rosen does poorly – they're probably already in position, so they still have all that flexibility out there with their draft picks, and they're probably picking top five if Rosen tanks. I mean, that it just feels like the biggest win-win trade to me, regardless of how it pans out. Do you get the same sense? or I do mostly, and what's interesting is when the trade was first announced or reported, uh, I was a little upset that they gave up a second-round pick for Rosen and then found out there was a fifth involved as well, but, you know, the benefit of time has helped me out because big picture, I know it was a late second round pick and also really the financial consideration in terms of the $6.24 million that you own over three seasons. I mean, that's nothing, you know, based on what you normally pay a quarterback in the NFL. So to your point, I agree with you in the sense that you've got now a year to see what Josh Rosen's all about. And you have the potential on the high end of things if things go really well to have figured out your quarterback position, something that they haven't been able to do in two decades, right? So that's one side of it. And then if it doesn't work out, 
to your point, they've stockpiled all the draft picks. If it's not working out, they're not going to win a lot of games, and they're still going to be able to do what we'd all anticipated anyway and go after their franchise quarterback in the 2020 draft when, for all intents and purposes, if we believe all the pundits, it's a much better quarterback class. So, you know, I, I would have liked them, you know, ideally to maybe give up a third rounder for Josh Rosen because Arizona didn't have any uh, leverage whatsoever. But big picture, if you give up a second round pick and a fifth rounder and you figure out the quarterback position, we'll look back on this trade and say it was a steal. Absolutely. And and so I, I know we've talked a lot of Josh Rosen and I know we could both probably go on for, for an hour about him. Outside of Josh Rosen, Christian Wilkins, I believe you had the chance to talk with him already. Um, great first round pick, in my opinion. I know the, the entire Clemson defense appeared to go in uh, round one, and if not, then in round two. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts around Christian Wilkins. Yeah, it's hard to see anything about this pick that would make you hesitant whatsoever. I mean, he, he is a home run on the field in terms of his production. You know, an All American, he's a finalist for the Bidnerith. Gursky and Outlet uh, trophies. He uh, 57 tackles, six sacks, two-time national champion, and someone who off the field in the classroom is coming to the NFL with a pair of degrees and won the academic Heisman. And really, Paul, what stood out to me in talking to him, you know, uh, half an hour or so after he was drafted, is that he's mature beyond his years, and he relishes the idea of coming to a young team, which the Dolphins are going to be, with a new head coach and kind of a restart uh, in mind that he's relishing the idea that he can come in to be a leader and help set the culture. And so, you know, there've been many different draft picks over the years. And, and oftentimes you just open it for a rookie that they can come in and contribute and, and on the field and, and do their job. But I think this guy's going to come in not only because they got a need there and be a very good player for him, but I think he's going to be a great presence in the locker room and in the community on top of all of that, for Brian Flores and for the Dolphins organization. So I really like the pick. He's a really impressive young man. The only thing I would say is the draft board uh, was playing out, and he saw who was picked before him. And this is all you know prior to knowing they were going to trade for Josh Rosen. I was a bit surprised they passed up on Dwayne Haskins. Just the idea that he slipped to them at 13 and knowing the importance of that position – in the moment, I was like, oh, man, this is a great opportunity. Maybe they go for Haskins. Obviously, based on their board, they really like Wilkins better. And then, you know, the next day they go out and tra trade for Rosen. So it kind of makes sense they got the quarterback. But, uh, you know, you take that part of it out of it, I think Christian Wilkins seems like, for all intents and purposes, he's going to be a home run. Yeah, and it was funny. Leading up to the draft, we had our mock draft show. And we had four four guests on. We all – sat and we said what we would have done at the position and then we we had the person that actually picked the four of us based on how the board fell took christian wilkins the one person who picked and i'm not letting him forget this is uh my co-host cat and he went with uh, an offensive lineman so he was he was eating a little bit of crow after the fact when four of us all <laughs> went ahead and said we'd take Christian Wilkins with the pick. So I feel good about that. But Well, yeah, I, I no, suppose I, the, the, good thing, the good thing in that exercise with the current state of the Dolphins roster is that you could really pick any position, right? And, yeah. and you're filling a need. So you, you can't really go too wrong. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, sounds like three of you then were on board with what Chris Greer and the front office wanted to do. So taking a look at the rest of the draft, the Dolphins did take Michael Dieter, and then Isaiah Prince. So they, they did fill a little bit of that offensive line room. 
but there's definitely still uh, room to grow in that room. But take us through your thoughts on Dieter and Prince. I know they're two very different individuals, but. They are, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. With some of these picks, especially late in the draft, it's really hard to know one way or the other. It's kind of the ultimate crapshoot. But, you know, let's start with Dieter in the third round. You love the fact that he started 54 consecutive games at Wisconsin and has played literally all three positions, tackle, guard, and center. And so with that background and knowing he's coming from a school that produces top offensive line talent, I think he's going to have the opportunity to come in and contribute immediately. And and I'd be a little disappointed if he doesn't fill one of those guard roles for the Dolphins. Not that he's a great player per se, but it's a combination of his accomplishments in college and also the fact that they just really have no depth on the offensive line. So I'd love to see him come in, get the opportunity, and take advantage of it and be one of the starters. And then with Isaiah Prince, you know, you have to like coming from Ohio State, being a three-year starter himself at right tackle. That's a position of need for the Dolphins. In hearing some of the draft pundits speak about him, it sounds like they think he needs to develop a little bit more. But I think that's pretty good value uh, in the sixth round to get a guy like that. Even if he can't come in and play right away, I'm sure they're going to allow him to compete. Um, and, you know, hopefully down the line they can develop him into a decent player. So they have many needs on offensive line. I really like Dieter. I think Prince may take him a little longer, but uh, between those two picks, I think they're uh, very productive for the Dolphins. Now, just, just sticking on Prince for a minute, I'm just curious if you saw the same thing I did, which is, you know, you look back at his junior year, he was a guy that looked like he was going to come out and be, you know, first or second round lock. And then, he seemed to be a guy that gets a very good initial pop, but doesn't keep his drive going at that point. And, and really that seems to be one of the things that I would think would be fairly easy for an offensive line coach to work with him on. I mean, as far as issues, you know, for, for a fifth round pick, it feels like a, a lesser issue to have to deal with. I mean, did you see the same thing or did you see something different with him? Well, I got to admit, I haven't broken down much of his film, Paul, so I'm going to rely on your uh, your expertise there. But I will say that just in general, in reading more about him, you know, two years ago, it sounded like you're right. He was a world beater. And then his, this last season, he kind of regressed for whatever reason and, and wasn't as impressive. And then ultimately, we see him fall in the draft. So clearly there's something up there. But I think that, you know, you got to rely on this Dolphins new coaching staff. It's relatively new in terms of most of the guys are, are new for Brian Flores and going to work under him. I, I hope that they can get the best out of him because, you know, you, you still have to be pretty darn good to start for three years at a school like Ohio State and what they were able to produce on the offensive end of the, of the field. So, you know, I think he's got some upside, but uh, clearly there's a reason why he fell the way he did. So I think that's worth monitoring to see what they can get out of him. Now, Looking at linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle, I know he was on—he was not on a lot of people's radars. I know there were a lot of defensive players, but everybody seems to be warming to the idea immensely as they watch more film on him. What did you see out of Van Ginkle when you took a look? Well, man, I, I listen between him and Dieter. Uh, you know, the two games that Wisconsin played in the bowls the last couple of years against University of Miami. I mean, they both played well, and it, you know. Dieter helped the offensive line run for over th- the running game run for over 300 yards uh, in the pinstripe bowl uh, against Miami in Mark Rick's last game. And then Van Ginkle made a couple of nice plays, including the interception against the University of Miami. So, you know, I heard of their, heard their names just because of uh, the connections to the local team here in South Florida. 
And with him, it, it seems like more than any of these other players, it, he's kind of a, a scheme fit for what Flores and the defense wants to do in terms of if they're going to play that hybrid kind of 3-4, the outside linebacker, because I know there were other names that a lot of Dolphins fans expressed on social media to me and, and even some of the local people that I interact with on uh, the radio. They were like, hey, all these other guys they could have taken to get after the passer, but this is clearly someone that they've watched on film that they think will fit what they do. And, you know, it may get a little tired. We've done this a lot this offseason, talking about the New England Patriots connections, but, you know, how many times have the Patriots rolled out their defense especially and it's a bunch of no-name guys, guys that maybe we don't know that much about or haven't been hyped up. And next thing you know, they're winning another division. So I, I trust that Brian Flores, especially with the influence from New England, knows how to evaluate this defensive talent. So lastly, for, for the, the normal rounds of the draft, we had Miles Gaskins and Chandler Cox taken back-to-back. I love the whole back-to-back pick thing. I love how it can change the layout of, of an entire round when a team picks two in a row. What did you think of those two picks? Well, you, you can't argue with Miles Gaskin's uh, production at Washington going over 1,200 yards uh, in four consecutive seasons. I mean, that guy was versatile too, catch the ball to the backfield. So, you know, I, I like what he's going to bring to the table in terms of being able to hopefully be part of that running back room with Kalen Balaj and certainly Kenyon Drake. And then, you know, I was, I was surprised. I don't know if everybody else was, but I was surprised when Chandler Cox's name uh, was called because I'm like, whoa, there's still fullbacks in the NFL, <laughs> you know? Right. But, but of course, then you, you, you look at the numbers and you see, oh, James Devlin was on the field for the Patriots and Chad O'Shea for 36% of their snaps last season. It's like, okay, well, we're going to have our first fullback, I think, since Lusaka Polite uh, for the yes. Miami Dolphins. So I think, you know, it's going to be different, but I, I like the idea of bringing in a, a hard-nosed, tough guy who can uh, can block and do a lot of things in the backfield. So I was certainly surprised because you don't expect fullbacks to, to be drafted, but certainly in the seventh round and, and hearing what Chris Greer and Brian Flores said after the draft, that he was their top-rated fullback. They wanted to make sure they got him, so they made sure they snatched him up and not let him get to free agency. Now, looking at the undrafted free agents, I know I know Kat and I talked about them extensively, so I won't, I won't bore our listeners to death talking about them. Is there anybody that stands out for you, and do you see many of those guys making the team? Because the opportunities seem to be there right now. Well, that's the I think the the big point that a lot of people know, the Dolphins fans who follow the team so closely, but I think more so than any year, this is going to be a year in which these undrafted rookies have an opportunity to come in and make a real impact. Um, you know, I don't have – I apologize. I don't have some of the names in front of me right now, but I know that – uh, let's see, there's uh, w- one of the, the linebackers out of Maryland, um, Trey Watson. There we go. He, yes. I, I think he's got a, a really good opportunity just from watching him in college and then knowing that they've got needs to, to get better and certainly more athletic there in the linebacking core. Um, and, you know, there's a few others, but I, that's a guy, first of all, that stood out to me. And I just think that big picture – there's plenty of opportunity for these guys, even the like Northwestern cornerback, Montre Hardage, uh, a player where, you know, I was surprised that they didn't draft a cornerback. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting them to fill all the needs in a, in a draft in which they only had, you know, the six picks, but that's certainly still a need. And I think there's a great opportunity there because I know Eric Rose on the roster. I know that 
Minka Fitzpatrick potentially could play cornerback on the outside, but we don't know who's going to play opposite Davian Howard, and they certainly need more bodies in the secondary. So I think those are the two of the guys that I, that come to mind that have a chance to make an impact. So anything else about this draft stand out to you before we get to our final question here? Well, I think just in general, kind of getting back to the point I was making before, I, I like just how they've set themselves up for the future. And so, you know, for all Dolphins fans out there, I think that if Chris Greer has his way on an annual basis, it's not going to be, hey, just six picks and then you move on and, and maybe you have to wait until day three to get most of the picks. It, it sounds to me like he wants to do what Bill Belichick and the Patriots do on an annual basis, where they go into a draft and they got – 12, sometimes more picks, and they can move around or they can make their selections. Because let's be honest, I mean, the Patriots don't hit on, on, on all their picks, right? You go, you look back, certainly they have some success, but I think what they do is they enhance their odds by adding all those picks. So for Chris Greer, it gives him more of an opportunity to potentially not hit on everybody because that's impossible, but provides flexibility that the percentages say that you're going to hit on a certain number of them. And if that's the case, then hopefully the Dolphins can start building through the draft more effectively than we've seen. Because, you know, I, I was crunching the numbers a little bit, Paul, and, and looked at this. I mentioned this last year uh, during draft time and then brought it back up this year during draft time. But if you look pre-2015, there's only two players still on this Dolphins roster who were drafted by the team. And it's Oof. Walt Aikens and Rashad Jones. Other than that, Pre-2015, there are no other drafted players still on the current Dolphins roster. So, I mean, they just need to get more staying power out of these players. I don't care what round. Certainly the first, second rounders, you would hope so. But I think that's something that needs to change moving forward. And so, big picture, I think that's my hope. And I'm optimistic that with Chris Greer now executing his plan, that'll be the case. Yeah, and looking at the number of draft picks he's already stockpiled for next year, it's certainly – appears that it's going to be the case moving forward, which is which is a great thing to see. So, Greg, looking at our final question here, uh, probably the most burning draft question of all, who ends up sitting on the Iron Throne in Game of Thrones at the end of this? We've got two episodes left. Who Who is going to finally sit on that Iron Throne, if anybody? Oh, my goodness. That, that's the question everybody wants to know, right? Uh, We're mean, holding you to it, so – we can't even, we can't call that the million dollar question. That's the multi-million, maybe billion dollar question. Uh, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about this, as I'm sure every Game of Thrones fan has. And you know, I'm not sure how creative the creators are going to get with this. But my gut feeling, especially after watching the last episode, is that it ends up being Jon Snow. But I don't know if that's too predictable. So I'm going to go with Jon Snow. Maybe that's hopeful on my part because I think he'd make the best ruler and king but i also feel as i answer this question that they're kind of setting everybody up to think that would be the best scenario and the show on the whole has thrived because they're willing to do what's surprising what's shocking so i'll go with Jon snow but i don't feel very confident about it no i'm with you on that it definitely felt like a shell game at the by the end of this past episode now, I, personally, I'm rooting for Arya and or the Hound to sit on the Iron Throne. But, <laughs> again, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. It'd be amazing. I'd watch an entire offshoot of the Hound being on the Iron Throne. But it is what it is. So, anyway, can, can Greg, you thank you. Very, can, oh, can dude, you it'd be amazing. 
He'd just be, he'd get upset and he'd just start killing people and then, you know, go back to normal. And... Or they come in and complain about their problems to him. It'd be awesome. Just <laughs> He'd throw him out of the castle if he doesn't beat him out, out the door. It'd be perfect. Yeah, ther- therapy with the hound. There we go. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's going to have his own self-help book. So, anyhow. <laughs> All right, folks, you've been listening to On the Fin Side. We've got Greg Likens here. We're going to have him back for another segment to talk about the offseason as a whole, look at the philosophy like we've talked about, and just kind of the state of the team. So, if it's not on the right side, it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. So, what do you take us home? It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. Fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, right side. and it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.